So welcome back to another edition of Real Talk with Real People. Um, I am Dr. Caroline Thea Jones and I am your host. Well, this is my anniversary month. I am celebrating one year on these airwaves with my podcast. I'm very happy about that. Real Talk with Real People and I am thrilled to be speaking with you today. Even as some of us are still sheltering in place, sort of, because the state is slowly opening, but I am still cautiously moving about because we are not out of the woods yet, and I just want myself to be safe, and of course, any guests that I will have on my show, I want them to be safe as well. So, what's happening? Well, the country is in a little bit of an unrest. I think we are in crisis mode as people of color are angry and rightfully so. So as we try to unpack, you know, the brutal, horrific deaths that have been happening to black men and women for centuries, black people are fed up. You know, we're just tired. We're tired of forgiving. And um, we're tired of just letting things slide. So we're not going to be forgiven this time. And we're not going to apologize for it. Because it's been too long. Too long in the making. So the protests, the um, Black Lives Matter, the reconstruction of things happening all around us is necessary. And hopefully we'll be able to get some sort of a resolution. So it's been hard for me to keep quiet as a black woman because I have a black son and a black grandson. And um, it is very difficult for me to watch all the things that's happening all around me. Because like everyone else, I want answers. I want justice. I want change. But what are the steps that's going to take us there? Because we need... We need to to get there. We've been trying to get there for so long. So I don't know what the answers are. And maybe there's some answers out there. And maybe there's somebody out there who knows the answers. And maybe somebody will want to come and have a candid conversation with me. So we can, we can talk about these things. But today, I'm going to have a candid conversation with Armani Williams. He is uh, my guest today. I'm going to bring him on in a little bit. Um, This was supposed to be the start of my relationship series. And I think in these trying times that building relationships are important. So I still want to have my relationship series because I, I do believe that building relationships today is important. It's important all around because there are many types of relationships. And I've been seeing many relationships um, just formed in the last few months in the midst of all of this unrest. So I do want to talk about relationships. I want to talk about mending relationships. I want to talk about building relationships. I want to talk about examining relationships. Because human beings crave for and there is certainly a need for social contact. And right now with us social distancing, there hasn't been much social contact. But relationships are important. 
to all humans, no matter their age or their nationality or their gender. Because without relationships, life is useless. It's empty, it's boring, it's lonely. So relationships can be fun, they can be exciting, and sometimes they can be stressful. But we all need some sort of relationship in our lives. And I'm hoping that um, I will be able to bring back my series, my relationship series, you know. Um, It's very, very important. Very, very important. And um, as I was watching what was happening, um, as everyone was watching the video of George Floyd, and the relationship that he um, had with his mom. Uh, We can say that he had a good relationship with his mother only because of the way he called out to her at the end um, of his life. Now we know that the most important relationship that you can have is the relationship that you have with yourself, but the relationship you have with your mother, that's the person who gave you life. And I think that relationship is equally important. I want to talk about relationships with mothers. um, Because your relationship with your mother can shape your entire life. It's one of the conversations I want to have in my series. In my relationship series. You know, so I'm going to talk about uh, quite a few things. But again, like I said, I don't know where my relationship is going to go. Because I'm going to have a candid conversation with Armani Williams and we're going to um, talk about a lot of things who knows I'm just going to let it flow and let's see what happens at that point so um, how's everybody doing out there I hope everybody is doing okay I'm doing okay I'm doing the best that I can do considering things I haven't been out that much I haven't been doing that much. I've been trying to stay put, going out shopping and stuff like that when necessary. But I've been trying to be cooperative because I don't want to get sick, nor do I want to be a catalyst for somebody else to be sick. Um, I'm hopefully, I'm hoping that things will go back to normal soon. I don't know what normal is. I don't even know if any of us know what normal is, but we're going to try. We're going to see. We're going to see what happens. But in the meantime, I'm going to get my guests on the line see if I can reach him. I'm going to call him right now. We're going to see. Hello. Hi, Armani. This is Miss Jones. How are you? I'm doing good, Miss Jones. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Are you ready for our candid conversation? Sure. All right. Well, you're already on the line. I've already done some intros. But I didn't okay. I didn't introduce you. I introduced you as my guest, but I did not talk okay. about you. I'm going to talk about you right now. I'm going to read your bio right now, okay? Okay. So I have Armani Williams on the phone with me right now. He's going to be my guest today as we have a candid conversation. We don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'm sure it's going to be a good conversation, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, ma'am. I think it will be. Okay, so Armani Williams is the owner and CEO of Jersey Boy Publications, LLC. In 2011, he hit the literary scene with his critically acclaimed debut, Scandalous. 
His scandalous. Well, oh, scandalous. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Wow, I'm, I might have to read that book. I think Kiana has it in this house. So. She does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, his well-received debut set the stage for his best-selling novel, Harlem Boys, released in late 2013. Yep. In early 2015, he released his third novel, Jersey Lovers. To date, he has been named in publications such as the Huffington Post, Find Success, and DBG Magazine. Yes, ma'am. Okay. He has appeared on talk shows like Model Behavior with Sharon Quinn, The Mm -hmm. Air It Out Show, and Future Icons. He is currently working on his fourth novel, Harlem Boys 2. Let's do it again. Yeah. Wow. You are busy. Busy. I try to be. (laughs) That's good. I like the busyness. Okay, so Armani yeah. was born in Newark. He was raised yeah. in East Orange. Uh, he mm-hmm. is an alumni of the prestigious Cecily Tyson School of Performing and Fine Arts, where he was a vocal music major for all four years. Now, you know, that's how I met you, through my daughter, yeah. who also went yeah. to um, Cecily Tyson. I loved that school. I loved you guys in yeah. that school. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you. All right, so yes, he's, ma'am. he's obtained his B.A. in communications from William Patterson University. In addition mm-hmm. to being an author, Williams is also a gifted actor, voiceover talent, singer, and master impressionist. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> in February 2017, his cooking skills, wow, you can cook too, landed him as yeah. a guest on ABC's Good Morning America in a cooking contest segment in celebration of the 2017 Super Bowl. Now, I'm sorry I missed that. And I love a man who can cook, so you already got my heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've um, been posting a lot of uh, pictures of, of the different things I cook. It just kind of started, uh, I don't want to say by accident, but, but, but it wasn't something that I planned. You know, when I was in college, uh, my last two years I lived, um, I went to William Patterson. My last two years I lived in a dorm that um, had uh, apartments. They were apartment-style dorms. So we had kitchens. And I still had a meal plan, so I still went to the cafeteria. But, you know, uh, William Patterson is a predominantly white school, so sometimes I would want some good old black fried chicken. And mm-hmm. I couldn't really get that up there. I mean, there were Italian, like, pizzerias and stuff. You know, Italians make good fried chicken, too. But... You know, um, but we, you know, as black folks, we have our way of doing it. And I was like, I, it started with me wanting to fry some chicken. And I believe I called my mother who just kind of instructed me the way she does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, I've just had time to, you know, perfect my own way. But it started with me wanting to fry some chicken. And then when that came out right, I was like, hmm, let me try something else. And then I just kept trying things. And then next thing I knew, I was able to make different things and 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 i i kind of come from a family of cooks but i didn't know that i got <laughs> that particular gene i guess among all your many so, talents I, well thank you thank you that's <laughs> very nice of you um yeah so and and one thing just kind of turned into another and then i you know of course with the uh invention of camera phones i would just kind of take pictures of things and next thing i knew i had all of these pictures of things that I cooked and people were like, did you go to chef school? I'm like, no, I just, just kind of, you know, follow directions. 
followed the directions and and just did my best with it and um and and later on i just kind of learned oh okay so learned on my dad's side that there are people that can cook on my mom's side i definitely know that there's a lot of people that can cook i had an uncle who uh, just passed a couple of years ago uh with my grandmother's twin brother my mother's mother's twin brother mm-hmm. uh he was a chef uh, uh an executive chef and um all of his kids can cook too so I, you know, from what I'm told, my grandmother, she passed before I was born. Um, she was a, a really good cook herself. So I think it's in the genetics somewhere. Um, yeah, I, I can't tell you which side of the family it comes from because, like I said, on my dad's side, there's some people that can cook too. And my father didn't cook often, mm-hmm. but when he did, the things he could cook, he cooked really well. So, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, unfortunately, my father's passed away too, so I never got a chance to cook for him. But um, but I often wonder, like, hmm, I wonder what he thinks. <laughs> Do you have a favorite meal? Uh, anything chicken. <laughs> <laughs> anything chicken. Um, I, 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 yeah, I'm, 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 you know, different days. I want different things. You know, uh, honestly, I know I said it started with the fried chicken. I mean, I didn't really think that was any. I'm not going to say it wasn't anything special, but really, uh, I'm going to say about 2014, the first time I made gumbo mm. and I, I invited a couple friends over like, Hey, try this. I made this gumbo. They were like, this is amazing. I was like, is it? They were like, yeah. And then after that, people started to say, Oh, well, you know, you cook. So, you know, I was like, well, I just made some gumbo. I don't know if that classifies me as this great cook. And once again, it started to happen again where I just was like, okay, well, I like salmon. Let me try that. Let me try to make that. And I did. Wow. Uh, I like shrimp. Let me make that. Let me, you know, and it just it really was, oh, I want to try this. So let me try and make it myself because I wasn't going to say, hey, um, I want some gumbo. Can you make some for me? I was like, no, nah, I'm going to just try to do it myself. And, and I did. So, well, that's so, good. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. like to cook. I do cook, obviously. Yeah. But uh, cooking is not my favorite thing, and to be quite no. no, and to be quite honest with you, if I didn't have to cook for my husband, I wouldn't cook, mm-hmm. and um, I probably <laughs> wouldn't eat that much either. I don't think I'm like Kiana and AJ ate something growing up, didn't they? Well, I cooked. <laughs> I, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't say I. I didn't cook. My mama taught yes, me how ma'am. to cook. You know, I come from a mm-hmm. large family. There's twelve of us, so you know good and well. I learned how to cook. My mama was a good cook. Wait, there, there's twelve of you. Yes, there's twelve of us. I don't. I don't think I knew that. Wow. <laughs> See, this is what happens. What, what number are you? I'm number six. Okay. And this is exactly what happens when you have a candid conversation. You learn about people. Yes, ma'am. And this is why I like to have it. But yes, just twelve of us. I'm number six. I'm the second girl. So, okay. So of course, um, I'm I'm gonna be cooking. <laughs> I don't. Yes, I don't. Yes, yes. I don't like to cook though. I can cook. Um, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I can cook. Um, my husband tells me that he prefers my cooking, which is why he does not go out to eat, and he, you know, continues to uh, <laughs> allow me to be. His his maid and cook. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm going to accept that as a compliment that I cook well enough for him to not want to go out and eat. So, <laughs> but my favorite oh, dish Mr. is Jones. salmon. So I'm going to have to have you make me some salmon since that's my favorite dish. Okay. Don't okay. say okay because yeah, yeah, you know yeah. I'm gonna hold you to that. I, I got you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so a lot is going on in the world, as you know. Yes, ma'am. And I know originally when I asked you to be a guest on my show, we were going to talk about relationships. I was starting my relationship series, but um, mm-hmm. we were interrupted, you know, so um, mm-hmm. uh, the world interrupted a lot of things. So we are now in a different state of mind. Um, Absolutely. So what are your thoughts? Let's talk about your thoughts on what's happening in the world right now, because the world has changed significantly. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, as far as the COVID-19, it looks like it's here to stay. I mean, I don't, I I had a, I have a friend in the medical field that said that, I mean, now granted, none of us are fortune tellers. Right, right. Um, but it, it certainly seems like something that has put a pause on a lot of things. And, you know, in the midst of us all protecting ourselves and, being quarantined and, 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 you know, following new orders of curfews and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's been the rise, once again, of cops killing black yes. people. Not even going to just say black men, because it, you know, Sandra yes. Glenn is a woman. Mm-hmm. Breonna Taylor was a woman, you know, so it's, it's not just affecting black men, but black people. And the unfortunate yet fortunate if I can say that thing is that with us all being quarantined and and the world being just a little more quiet because we were all paying attention to COVID um, people I think were a bit more sensitive this time around to hear about these killings uh, such as uh, George Floyd and Mm -hmm. and, uh, we're also bringing back uh, what happened to Breonna Taylor and you know uh, a few others I've can't always remember everyone's name, but right. but they are just as important, and I want to acknowledge that. Um, it, it, it seemed as if because everyone was quarantined, mm-hmm. a little bit more attention is being placed on it. Because now you see the 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 white organizations and people speaking up about it, saying this isn't right. And even if it's a trendy thing to do at the time, and some for some of them it is, um, I'm still glad that it is now something that everyone is talking about. Everyone was talking about what happened to George Floyd. Whether they were against it, whether they didn't care if it happened, it's just the fact that everyone was having a conversation about it. You right. know, and I think it's raised enough awareness now that 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 legislation is 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 uh, on the table to be passed. Well you know, we'll see because here's the deal. Johnny Cochran said something I, uh, years ago that I thought was really, really interesting and so true. And with him being in the legal profession, he knew. He said, the police officer is the single most powerful force in law enforcement, more powerful than a lawyer, more powerful than a judge, because that police officer has a right to take your life if he feels threatened. He has a gun. Mm. And it's always going to be his word against yours. And the legal system, as we know, protects these cops. Mm-hmm. protects the cops, protects the lawyers, protects the judges. So it's almost as if, not almost, but they can literally get away with murder. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen it happen. And and even going back to 2012, when uh, George Zimmerman killed Trayvon Martin, uh, you know, another reason that George Zimmerman is not locked up, not just because he's white, his father is a retired judge. And I don't know if everyone knows that. I didn't know you that. You know, so that's, yeah, so that's another reason why that 
I'm not going to curse on your podcast. Uh That's another reason why that a-hole is not in jail and can pretty much flaunt, Mm -hmm. you know, I killed him, I got away with it, I'm going to sell this gun and make $250,000, and I'm going to brag about the fact that I killed this black man, this young black boy, Mm -hmm. and I got away with it. Yeah. You know, because he pretty much had the protection of his father. Like, his father wasn't going to let him go to jail, you know, and he didn't become a racist on his own. I'm sure he learned that from home. Right, right. You know, and, 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 and with his father being a judge, he could keep his son out of jail. Because as we've seen, George Zimmerman is a clown. He's been out here doing all kinds of crazy stuff since he killed Trayvon. Doesn't go to jail, doesn't, I mean, he's probably been arrested a few times, but I mean, nothing sticks. Yeah. You know, so what I'm glad is that, you know, legislation is on the table to be passed. We'll see what happens. We'll because see. for me, you know, it's not enough that the cops get fired. It's not enough that they, uh, you know, uh, uh, get get charges brought up against mm-hmm. them. I said, you can have charges be brought up against you. You can even be fired. Right. What's going to happen? Yes. Will you do, will you, will you be treated like the killer and common criminal that you are? You know, because an officer being fired, a lot of times they still get to keep their pension mm-hmm. and they'll get offers from other Departments come work for them. Yes, they may not work where they work when they kill someone, but they'll go work someplace else. You know, it, it. You know, the fraternal organization of police. You know, we have to remember what fraternal means. It doesn't just. You know, it's not just a twin. Fraternal is like the full term of fraternity. Mm-hmm. So they're going to protect themselves. They're going to protect each other. They're going to cover for each other. Yeah. You know, and and it's a shame because. I don't believe that all cops are bad, but I'd be lying to you if I said, as a black man, when I see a cop car pull up or go by, I don't get nervous, because I do. Yes. I never know. I never know, you know, what is going to happen. And, you know, I've got brothers that are black, I have cousins that are black, I have friends that are black. Exactly. You know, and I feel like we're all just walking targets, and the thing is, I don't... I don't want to see a race war happen, but it feels like that's what we're inching towards, you know, and I don't think anybody wants that. No. You know, but it's, 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 you can only push people so far before they react. Yes. You know, um, I, you know, personally, I'm, I don't know that I'm a person that is going to get so outraged that I'm going to take a hammer and just destroy and burn people's stores. I don't think, I don't see myself doing that, Mm -hmm. but the frustration is just boiling over at this point. Yeah. You know, like I said, I don't think we should destroy our communities. I think, but, but, but the marches don't seem to be working. The marches and the protests don't seem to be working. We, we have them mm-hmm. and people show up. We have our signs and, and everything, but are the people that can actually create the change, demand the change? Right. Are they, are they doing what they're supposed to do? Are these elected officials that we've elected, are they doing their part? Or are they just saying what we want to hear when they're running and then they get in office and then when we demand action, when we demand that things happen, are they listening to us? Are they, are, or are they just like, oh, the people are gathering outside again. Carry on. Well, that's that, what it feels like. Yeah, but that also tells us the responsibility that we have when we are electing these officials. But we're going to go back just a little bit because you, you mentioned mm-hmm. Trayvon Martin. Yes, and um, um, so, as we all know, that Black Lives Matter was founded 
in 2013 mm-hmm. in response of the mm-hmm. acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murder. So Black Lives yeah. Matter is still front and center today. And um, so with that movement, do you think that we're making some kind of leeway? Um, yes, because we're raising awareness, yeah. you know, and I know a lot of the counter, the, 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 excuse me, the countering of that is all lives matter. Mm-hmm. Well, if that were the case, we wouldn't need to say black lives matter. Exactly. You know, we wouldn't need to say that, you know, um, because if, if all lives mattered, things wouldn't be happening the way that they are. And, and really, that's just something that someone came up with to, 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 to minimize uh, the struggle, you know, and, and, and minimize the struggle because of something that they don't deal with. And that's when I was in college, I, uh, I was a black studies minor. So sometimes I got, I got told I was a little too black. Little too, little too pro-black, little too uh, into my own culture, and I'm like, I don't think that that is a thing. You can't be too <laughs> into your own culture. Like, what is that? Like, what, what? Like, like, tell me, what culture should I should I be so gung ho about? Exactly. Other than my own, you know, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> so, exactly. You know, I'm a black man. I'm a proud black man. I was raised that way, and I'm. That's probably not going to change. Um, and I live, and you know, and I live my life as a black man. It's not trendy for me. It's 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 my life. It's what I do. It's mm-hmm. who I am. Um, I do think we're making progress because anytime you can raise awareness, that's making progress. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 and now, like I said, with what happened to George Floyd, I think anyone that has a heart and has compassion, and that is not everyone. Right. That's some people. You know, I like to think it's most people, but it may not even be most people. It's just some people because, you know, they're just very, we, we, we unfortunately have very apathetic people out there. Mm-hmm. Unless the fire is in their house, in their bedroom, in their closet, they're like, oh, that's, that's, that's your problem. Exactly. Not my problem. You know, but going back to what I was saying, when I was in college, I had a professor, uh, one of my black studies professors who said, we as black people, we keep wanting and expecting white people to understand racism, but it's not their problem. It's not their problem, it's our problem. We have to do something about it. We have to address it. We keep expecting them to understand it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, how often does a person fully understand something that is not their problem? And I know a lot of, because I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot, I don't get into a lot of Facebook debates, but the few that I have, I you know, when white people would say stuff like, well, all lives matter, and why can't black people just comply? They wouldn't get killed. I'm wow. like, wow. just be glad that it's not your problem. Mm-hmm. And then you never, ever, no, no day of your life do you ever have to deal with racism. And then they say, what? Racism affects everyone. I love when people say that because here's always my response to that. Something else I learned from one of my black studies professors Racism is the belief or doctrine that one is superior solely based on the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. Do black people, have we ever really felt that we were superior because we're black? Now, I know we joke about, oh, we're better at sports, we're better at music, we have rhythm and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. that but we're not serious when we say that because, look, there are white folks that are good athletes. There are white folks that can dance. There are white folks that can cook or sing or whatever it is. So, I mean, that's not... 
to say that we're 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 superior simply because of that. We're just you know a lot more of us tend to be good at it. But what I'm saying is, um, we don't carry ourselves with the belief that simply because we're black, we're better, you right. know. And that belief would have to come with some power. Exactly. Racism also equals a certain amount of power. You see, the pe- the people who are the real racists, they make laws. Mm-hmm. They can they can they can stand above the rest of us and say, this is what you're going to do as a society. This is what, what you're all going to do or else. And, you know, we're like forced to comply, basically. So that is racism. Yes. You know, uh, saying, you know, now there's a difference between bigotry, discrimination, segregation, and all of that stuff. And But we tend to lump all of that together. We think that bigotry and prejudice and racism and discrimination is all the same thing, and it's not. They all have different meanings. Now, they might be a bit synonymous, but they're not the exact same thing. And if we're just talking about racism, you know, like I said, it's a belief or doctrine that one is superior solely based on the color of their skin. And historically, we just haven't been that. Right. You know, if anything, we want equality. We want to be treated like human beings. We want equal opportunities, you know. you know, that's, that's pretty much it, yeah. you know, but if for some reason, when we say we want equality, the people in power act as if we're saying, oh, no, we want some of the power that you have. Right. Not even about that. It's just treat me like a human being. Give me the same opportunity that you give anyone else. If right. I show up for the job interview, I want to be seen as a qualified candidate because of my credentials, not because I'm black or white or uh, Hispanic or Asian or Indian, you know, like, you know, if I'm qualified, I'm qualified. Right. You know, and that's it. You right. know, and that goes with jobs, homes, everything, you know. And um, so, so to answer your question, I feel like I'm. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think you've been answering my questions. It's been great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I definitely think that Black Lives Matter is um, is definitely a worthy cause, and I do feel like it's making strides because. We have to remember why and and why Black Lives Matter was created. And you hit it right on that when you said it was a response to uh, the Trayvon Martin story because we've seen that many times since. Yes. And to to the people who are listening to your show right now and ask the question, well, what about when black people kill other black people? That's an issue as well. That's absolutely an issue as well. But it's not this issue. Right, right. Now let's not muddy. Let's not deflect. Uh, yes. Let's not muddy the conversation. Absolutely. With something else. Because listen, that's a, that's that's an issue. That's an issue for another data, or or, or another time. Another. Or, because yeah. if we're gonna talk, yeah, we're gonna talk about Black Lives Mattering. That is simply when, you know, because see, here's the deal: when we kill, when we kill each other, and we kill ourselves. Somebody goes to jail. It, somebody's prosecuted. Somebody goes to jail. That's it. But when we say Black Lives Matter in response to things like Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the list goes on, it's because these are murders that are, that are caused by these white cops and these white people, and they don't go to jail. There's no punishment. It's like, oh, it was an unfortunate incident. Or they'll bring up a person's perhaps criminal record, or in Trayvon's case, they brought up his school record and said, oh, he smoked weed and he'd been suspended. I said, well, hell, I smoked weed and I've been suspended from school. Does that mean I need to die? Yeah, yeah. 
You know, I mean, come on. So, so racism, I, I, you know, racism is yeah, not. Ahead, I'm sorry. Is, um, no, it's okay. It's not new to black people, and so we we, we know that. And when we talk about black on black crime, it has racism has nothing to do with black people are not killing black people because they're racist. No. Okay. So we're talking about racism in in this time. Right. And and now this new movement is bringing racism to the forefront. Now we do have white people protesting and marching right alongside black people. Absolutely. But we also and have shout out to them. Yeah, we're going to shout out to them. But we also have a lot of black people and white people who don't care about this issue at all because I've spoken to some black people who mm-hmm. feel as though um black people have brought this on themselves there is no racism um racism is something that we continue to conjure up in our minds but it doesn't exist and i'm really i sit there and i listen and i'm like i don't even know how to comment to that i don't yeah because i i feel like the world we live in see the i think the folks that have that mentality mm-hmm. they're just in for a very rude awakening yeah because there is not a place you can go in this country, in this world, I think, that will not remind you that you're black. Just, just, you know, I w- what I would say to them is I'm like, all right, drive your car around a white town at night or even during the day. See what happens. Uh, go, I mean, you know, step outside of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Do something. You will be reminded that you're black. Exactly. Trust me. And you I don't, know, and I don't wish anything bad on anybody, and I'm not, I'm not, not, not hoping that you know they, they, they get punched in the face with it. But <laughs> you, 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 you'd have to be a fool to, you know, deny what's happening. Like, what yeah. kind of cognitive dissonance yeah. is that? Well, I think it has you a know, lot to like, do with our mental. Some, some of us have not understood the. Um, what racism has done to your psyche actually um for instance Absolutely. someone who says to me that black people are lazy and they just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps that tells me that you have no idea about institutional racism and how right. it is part of a system it is part right. of the structure and in which we live in um so I think that institutional racism is harder to identify and, and individuals have a hard time um, even being able to internalize it as racism. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? I think, um, you know, institutionalized racism has always been a bit more covert um, because it's not as latent. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's when we can get into the microaggressions. Like, for instance, uh, I was working, I was working uh, one day. Uh, it was when I worked. I worked at Whole Foods for a moment, and I was working in the seafood department. And a man walked up. White man walked up, and um, this was the big COVID. Yeah, COVID was happening, and he he said. He, he said, uh, what did he say? It was some kind of Asian something that we had that he wanted. And he said, oh, Korean. It was a K- Korean salmon burger he was buying. He said, I don't know. Should we be buying anything Asian right now? And I looked around and said, sir, I don't think you should say that too loud. And he said, 
and he just kind of kind of shrugged me off like ah whatever you know mm-hmm. it's 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 happening and I'm thinking to myself wow I wonder if this man would call me an effing n-word yes. if I did something he didn't like because it was just so quick you know <laughs> yes. and and you 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 you'd be surprised how many of them do that my sister works in the medical field and um I think she uh was before she was married um, I think she might have had the same last name as a white lady. She said, you know, um, who knows? We could we could be related down the line. Or I think she, and then the woman laughed and said something about, oh, no, my family probably owned your family back in the day. Wow. <laughs> my wow. sister looked at her and said, I'm sorry, you think that's funny? Wow. Oh, no, 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 please don't take it like that. And my sister's name happens to be Kiana, like your daughter. Yes. She said, uh, she said oh, Kiana, don't take it like that. And my sister said, no, 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 no. She said, you just said that a little too easily for me. And the fact that you're laughing like it's a big old joke lets mm. me know what you really think. Wow. So you don't have to worry about us talking again. You know, and and, and, and I was I, I was not shocked, but, but, but shocked. Like, she really said that. <laughs> you know, because some of them really just have no idea. Yes. And that goes back to what I was saying. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what racism is. You've heard of it, heard about it. Yeah. And listen, some white people. Let me let me let me let me rephrase that. Some white people do know what racism is. They do get it. And shout out to those who do understand it. But I feel like many of them, they you know, while they may be familiar with it, it's not something that they've experienced. Mm-hmm. You know, because how often do they have to walk into rooms where they're like the only person who's their color? and just deal with it now i've seen it a few times once again black studies minor in college mm-hmm. so when i was taking my black studies classes there'd be a white person in the room there'd be one or two maybe because they didn't really take those kinds of classes mm-hmm. you know and because you know a lot of those classes talked about the awful things white people have done historically in the world and some of them will feel like well this is unfair it's one-sided and all white people and i like that like no one said all white people are like that but you can't ignore history right right white folks although they have the ignored history well, yeah yeah because you know why it's not their re- it's not their everyday reality you know my my favorite comedian is cheryl underwood mm-hmm. her stand-up years ago she said something that was really it was funny the way she put it but it really is like how, how a lot of them feel she said you know, white folks, she said, they can't tell a joke at work because we so MF insensitive. She said, but, you know, we know that they're still reaping the benefits of slave labor. But I'm going to tell you how white folks feel. She said, they're like, I was born in 1956. I don't know nothing about no slaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I, I didn't do it, you know, but we know that they're still reaping the benefits of it because of just the way the system is set up. Yes. Yesterday was Juneteenth, right? Yes. June 19th, yes. 1865, mm-hmm. right? And that's, when you really add up, add it up, that wasn't that long ago. I mean, it, none of us obviously were, he, were here, but, you know, you're talking about, what, 200 years? If that? If that, so, I think, if that. Thought you know, Not yeah. quite 200, so, but. Right, roughly about. I was never that good at math, but yeah. <laughs> so, but I say that to say that um, we are still fighting for our equality. Yes. You know, we're still fighting for our equal rights, and 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 that's why I say 1865 wasn't that long ago. Because if if it were, 
I'm like, that's a long time to still be fighting for equality. Why can't we have that? Why can't, why hasn't that happened yet? If it was so long ago, you know? Right. And um, I, 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 I just, oof, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, and it's a lot of work that still still needs to be done. But there, I, I there do is a think lot of that, work. yeah, I do think that we're making progress. Uh, wish it were a little faster, but mm-hmm. you know, I think, um, and also, we've 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 got to find ways to organize. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that means that there'll probably have to be some chiefs and some Indians, and at this point. You know, everybody kind of wants to be a chief and tell everybody else how it needs to be. Now, when we may not all be on the same page, but in order to make something happen, we just have to raise awareness. Because now, with enough awareness being raised, thanks to Black Lives Matter and those of us talking about it on our social media, the cop who killed Breonna Taylor has now been fired. I said, all right, that's the first step. I said, but prosecute his ass, please. Like... Treat him like you would treat anybody else who killed somebody. That is against the law in this country. Yes. I'm like, and we know that she was not doing anything. You know, like, you don't just walk up in somebody's house and kill them and then act like, oh, oops, sorry. Really? I'm yeah. like, nah, 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 nah. So let's talk about voting. Because I yes, still hear so many black people say that they don't see no reason why they should vote because the system is rigged. What do you feel about voting? I have mixed feelings about voting, to be perfectly honest with you. I voted as long as I've been, when I turned 18, I couldn't wait to go vote. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even, wasn't even a presidential election. The presidential election didn't happen until I was 19. Okay. It was, uh, Actually, the first presidential election I voted in was when 2004, when uh, Bush was going against not Al Gore. It was uh, who's the the guy? Looks like Lurch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't uh, know who that is. Kerry, really Kerry, John Kerry, John oh, Kerry. You, you think he looks like Lurch? I do. Okay. Kind of, kind of reminds me of, of uh, uh, Herman Munster. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> Um, yes, it was when George Bush was going against John Kerry. That was the first presidential election I voted in. I, I was really excited to vote, and of course I was disappointed because George Bush won. Um, but, you know, I have to tell you, it was nothing like 2016 when I went to vote. And I remember standing in the voting booth and looking and seeing Donald Trump's name and thinking, wow, he's really a presidential candidate. Like, mm-hmm. I can't believe this. You know, and it just seemed as if, you know, once he ran and then ultimately won, um, it, it just seemed like everything just went out the window. Like, as a nation, it's like we've been doomed ever since. It's like, like, you're a woman of a certain age. Can you please shed some light on this for me? Like, doesn't it seem like in the time that he's been president, Stuff has happened that we've never seen before. Absolutely. You know, and I know the, I know the Reagan administration was was tough on us in the eighties. That happened to be when I was born. But I, I, I mean, that was something. But this is like, it's just mind boggling. And it's like he says the, the, the craziest stuff and does the craziest stuff, 
and nobody does anything. No one says anything. Every, like his base acts like it's perfectly normal. And, you know, the things that we've witnessed since he's been in office, I can't believe it. Now, to answer your question about voting, obviously there was all the speculation that the Russians hacked our election, and then supposedly there was proof that came out that they did. And I know that, you know, that top 1% in our country um, has a lot of say and a lot of pull in what actually happens, mm -hmm. you know. And for me, it's like I, I don't want to tell people not to vote. I tell people, you know, you, you, have, a, you have the right to vote, but it's not, but, it's not, but it, you know, it's up to you whether or not you want to use that right. You know, it's not, not necessarily a requirement. Now, yes, historically, people did die so that we could vote, and people did go up against it all so we could vote, because that's when they were telling us, no, you don't have the right to vote. Right. And we're like, well, why not? We're citizens, you know? So I say, use your right as you feel it's necessary, because while they say there's power in voting, I also think there's power in, now, we want to put our knees on someone's necks, it's these elected officials that are in office, local, state, uh, even even on the national level. If we really want to see change, because I'm, I'm a person that believes that we're, we the people are the ones that have the power for real. If we mobilize the way that we're supposed to, and we see it with Black Lives Matter because we're, you know, we're out here raising awareness. Um, but I think that, you know, voting is just one way that that to, to prove that there's power in numbers, but um, you know, I've, I've heard both sides of the argument, you know, and, and I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I've been around people that say, you know, voting is everything. That's that's where the real power comes from. And then I've heard people say it's really not though, because do our votes really count? Do we really have a say in the matter, or have the powers that be already decided what's going to happen? We just kind of got to wait for the unveiling of it. It's kind of like when you are working someplace and you get a memo from the from the top that mm -hmm. says starting on Monday, well, well no, they'll they'll ask you like, hey, uh, 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 Miss Caroline, what do you think uh, about us having this in place as a procedure now with the job? And you know, you say, oh, I don't really care, or or yeah, that's a good idea, or no, that's not a good idea. But then two weeks later, you get a memo from the top saying. As of Monday, uh, June 21st, we're going to start doing X, Y, Z. And it's the thing that they may have asked you about two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 you know, when I was working at Marriott, that used to happen a lot. They would kind of tease it. They would ask everyone, what do you guys think of such, such, such X, Y, Z? They would get a bunch of opinions. And then two weeks later, it's now a thing. I was like, oh, so they weren't asking us what we really thought. They were just kind of saying, this is what's about to happen whether y'all like it or not. Okay. And I find that that's kind of what happens out here in the world. I feel like they make us feel like we have a say, but do we really? You know? And, and that's a question that I ask. So I'm kind of on the fence with the voting. I mean, obviously I have voted, and I will vote when I feel the need to. Um, I hope I you feel the you need right now. to vote in this election. I hope that there's a need. Um, we shall see. I'm going to tell you why. Because 
I'm not impressed with any of these candidates. Okay. Not impressed. I'm not, not only am I not impressed, I don't believe them either. You know, um, I, I mean, right now, I'm solely disappointed in, in Joe Biden. I can't believe he told Charlemagne the God, um, you know, well, if you ain't, if you ain't vote, if, if you're black and you ain't voting for me, you ain't really black. Excuse you, white man. Excuse you. You don't tell any black people that they're not really black. Yeah. You don't have, you don't, you don't get to do that. And you also present something to us that says, hey, here's why you need to vote for me. You know, because I feel like they all make the same promises. Oh, oh, black people, we'll help your community. We'll help your community. Has anyone really done that, though? I feel like we've still been on our own with that. But have you know, we and been, that's fine. Have we been holding we, anybody accountable, though? I mean, don't we have a responsibility to hold these elected officials accountable? I would like to see. We do. I would like to oh, see us. I would like to see all of us really understand the whole process of how a president is elected and to understand that okay there are some things put in place because there are there are three steps to becoming a president and um mm -hmm. we need to understand what those steps are and then when we get a particular candidate in office and we vote for them i think there's still mm -hmm. a responsibility of the people who put them in office to make sure that they are accountable for the things that they've promised i think a lot of times we and not just we, when I say we, I'm not just even talking about black people. I'm talking about all individuals who really do not really understand the role that we as American people play in, in, in these uh, elected officials' roles. We must hold people accountable. We must say, this is not what you said. This is not what we're going to tolerate. We need to learn about these steps. We need to learn about the, the whole you know, tradition uh, of presidents and how they're elected, the electoral college, the primaries, the caucuses, the, right. the national conventions. We need to educate ourselves because I think so many of us feel like this is so over our heads. That we, we, don't, we don't know what to ask. We don't know what right. to demand. Right. So I think some of the responsibility has to fall on us. Absolutely, and, and, and I can definitely um, get behind that because, as I said, um, if we're, there, there's more of us than there are of them. And I do think that we have to um, take accountability for what is happening and, and everything. Um, but we also have to find ways to work together because um, it's not just one way. But... And, and, and I say that because, and, and perhaps I'm a little, I'm a little jaded when it comes to that because I just feel like, feel like the politicians keep lying to us, mm -hmm. saying that you're going to do X, Y, Z, and then we go, okay, well I'll vote for you, I'll believe in you, but then when it doesn't happen, they're all of a sudden too busy to talk to us or have their hands full with everything else. I'm like, okay, so we're still on our own with this. All right. Um, yeah, we can hold the elected accountable, uh, elected officials accountable, but we also have to look at their track records. You know, what are they? What are they really doing? You know, what are they doing to help the communities in which they're now presiding over? You know, and I find that a lot of times it's, it's a bit personal. You know, um, I've been a Newark resident for the last eight years, and um, 
you know, Ron Baraka is in office right now. Um, I didn't vote for him, you know, I, I and I'm going to talk about it, just kind of thing. I didn't vote for him because I really didn't know what his platform was. I just know his father is a, is famous and is from Newark as well, Mary Baraka. Um, so I know he's homegrown, but I, I don't, I don't know if I've been so uh, enamored with the things he's done. And when I was a resident of East Orange, I did not like Mayor Bowser and was not voting for him. I never voted for him. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if he was, was he, I don't even, well, by the time I started voting, I don't even know if he was still the mayor, but I didn't like how he played either because it seemed as if once he was in office, he was just about carrying out his own personal agenda, which, and I'm not even sure how, how many of us he had in mind, uh, particularly, and this is not even to get off topic, um, I remember being a teenager when he was in office, and um, he helped run Dr. Howard. Dr. John Howard was a superintendent of schools. Yes, I, I, I don't know, know him if well. You remember. I know him well. Yeah, you know, and, and Mayor Bowser all but had him run out of office, and it was a nasty public uh, uh, thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember reading about it in the newspaper. Like, he, Mayor Bowser all but spearheaded the movement to have this man uh, removed, and I don't know if anyone ever did for the East Orange School District what Dr. Howard did. Mm-hmm. He was the reason there was a Cicely Tyson, there was a Washington Academy of Music, there was a, that all these different schools had these areas of specialty, you know, and I know for me, I know for AJ, um, all of us talented kids, mm-hmm. we needed that, Yes. you know, and, 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 and for Mayor Bowser to, to, to do that, I was like, ill. Is this really what happens in politics? And that was only the beginning, you know. And um, and I was I, I remember seeing him years later. I remember when he was campaigning to run for mayor again. I was in the barbershop getting my hair cut, and he walked into the barbershop mm-hmm. and said, oh, uh, so are you voting? I said, well, at the time I wasn't old enough to vote. And he said, uh, he said, okay, well, well, make sure your parents vote. I wanted to say, I'm going to make sure they don't vote for you. I don't like you. <laughs> You know, uh, and he said, oh, do you go to school here? I said, yeah, I go to Cicely Tyson. He said, oh, have you seen me there? I went to say, yeah, and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> but, you know, I was respectful. I didn't disrespect him. So good. I'm glad your mother's proud of that. You know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was like, I'm not going to disrespect a man to his face, but I ain't going to vote for him. You know, and, okay. um, you know, but, but, but yes, I... Uh, that's, that's my thoughts on voting. I mean, I know that's probably not going to sit well with, with a lot of people, but that's It's okay. Just, this is a candid conversation. Yeah. You get to say what you want. But let's turn the tables yeah. a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about you, okay? Yes, ma'am. All right, so I know you're a writer, and obviously yeah. you're, you're a terrific writer. I've heard my daughter talk about um, she has read your books, and she talks very highly of you. Tell us, a little bit uh, of, tell us a little bit about your writing process. Tell us a little bit about that life. Wow. Okay. Wow. Well. I don't want to say this right now from writing, because I just want to give myself some time to upload some new ideas. Mm-hmm. I kind of stole that from Erica Bondu, like if she's in between albums, like she'll see this band that I go, uh, Erica, when you get a new album? She said, I'm uploading. Give us some time. You know, because it, it, it really is, not only is it a creative process, but it's personal. And, you know, the older I get, the more I learn that um, life will present itself as it does and sometimes things happen that you don't anticipate and uh, you have to adjust. Mm-hmm. So these last couple of years 
I've gone through a lot of personal ups and downs. So, um, and, and in writing, I just kind of had to put it put it down for a moment to I, just focus I on other things. That. Yes. Um, but but my writing process has always been very organic. It was something that I didn't know I had, kind of like cooking, until I was challenged to do it. Mm-hmm. I was 10 years old. Um, I was going to the Newark Community School of the Arts, and um, I took a drama class. And there we, um, the, the, it was taught by a college professor. His name was Professor Stewart. I think he worked at NJIT, I think. I don't remember. But uh, he said to us, this will also be a creative writing class that you all are going to write plays and we're going to act them out. And I'm 10 years old thinking to myself, I don't know how to write no play. This man is crazy. I can't do this. And somehow, some way, went home that day, thought, just thought, thought, thought. And I said, you know what? Let me give this a shot. So I decided in my little 10-year-old mind, I'm going to write a play. I think it was all of two pages going to write a play about a woman who is married to find out she's pregnant but she has a drug problem she wants to get off drugs so she can deliver a healthy baby so some i have so it's like a it's like a before and after it was oh she tells her husband i'm pregnant i want to stop using drugs and let's get me into rehab the next scene she's out of rehab she has the baby and it's and they live happily ever after Mind you, I was 10 years old, so I didn't really know how to write about all of that, you okay. know, whatever. But that's, that was the first time I attempted to write anything, and I, and I want, kind of wanted to expand after that. So I was like, hmm, and I wrote something else, and I wrote something else, and I wrote something else, and then it just became a thing. So uh, I was in college, bored, because <laughs> like I said, I'm creative, so college was like, strictly academics and I was like this is boring I mean I finished but I remember just kind of daydreaming and I knew I wanted to write something really uh, provocative and, 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 and fun and, and, and really because I had read a book one of my favorite authors is a fellow by the name of Carl Weber yes. and Carl Weber writes these really fast paced mm-hmm. uh, suspenseful novels and I said I want to do something like that and so I got this idea. I said, hmm. I said, I could write about a guy who is like, he's a basketball player, he's married, but he's on a DL. Ooh, ooh, ooh. He could be having an affair with a rapper, a rapper from New York. Yeah, and he could be like one of those hard gangster rappers that no one would ever think likes men on the, on the low. And then he's this masculine basketball player, so no one suspects him either. But a lot of times, that's how it happens. And at the time, I was listening to a lot of hip-hop radio between Lenny Williams and Ms. Jones, and, you know, the blogs were a thing. So I was like, hmm, this is stuff people might actually read. So I wrote it, and it was, that was my first book, Scandalicious. Mm-hmm. I said, what can I call a story like this other than Scandalicious? Because I knew it was going to be just totally explosive, and it was. And um, I wrote that and said, I want to publish this one day, and I just held on to it. And so the opportunity came, and I published it in 2011. And uh, then after that, I wrote a book called Harlem Boys. Harlem Boys is about four gay black male best friends who live in Harlem, their life's ups and downs. Uh, One is a real estate tycoon, another is a teacher, 
another is a security guard, and the other works for City College. And um, they just have a really strong bond. So think of waiting exhale. Mm, I was thinking about men. that, yes. Yeah, yeah, but they're not. But but here's the twist. They're not your feminine gay men. They're masculine. Mm -hmm. They just happen to be gay. You know, and I wanted to tell that because uh, as a gay man myself, I'm not an overly feminine guy and 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 i didn't and i wanted to show that we do exist mm -hmm. you know um what i wrote about was you know it, some of the gay men that i knew not i didn't base it on anybody i it all came from my imagination but i kind of wanted to show that there's a different side and after the book came out a lot of uh the more masculine gay men thanked me they said thank you for letting the world know that we exist because you know, people think that we're all these, you know, we all want to dress like women. We all want to be women. And mm -hmm. we idolize Beyonce and are like, oh, we want to be like Beyonce. And, and of a certain generation, oh, we all want to be like Diana Ross. And it's like, no, we don't all want to be women. Some of us are men. We're happy to be men. And we just are attracted to other men. But we carry ourselves and conduct ourselves as men, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, for my third book, Change It Up a Little Bit, that's about straight folks. It's a guy meets girl. Guys from East Orange. The girl is from Mendham, New Jersey, which you know is a very wealthy suburb. Mm -hmm. She's mixed. She's black. They fall in love. They come from very different backgrounds. Um, her family is very wealthy, and uh, her father is black, but kind of an Oreo, if you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. He's black, but he's very assimilated to white culture, and is a self-hating black man. So he's even though his children are mixed. He wanted them to identify more with their white side, mm -hmm. so they do, until his daughter brings home this black man, and he loses his mind. Like, what are you doing with this black man? And he's from where? He's from East Orange? Oh, no. No, 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 no. So, um, but it's a really interesting story, and I wanted to kind of switch it up a little bit because I'm a writer, you know, and there were right. people that came along and asked me, well, how are you, a gay man, going to write about straight people? I said, because uh, I know a lot of them. And I'm like, because you know, you're a writer, on. and that's what yeah, writers do. Yeah, I'm like, do. I, I said, I'm a writer. I said, it's like, yeah, but you're gay. I'm like, well, don't put your limitations on me. Exactly. You know, I'm a writer. When I, and when I started writing, that's what I wrote. I wrote straight love stories. Like, I, the first gay thing I wrote was Scandalicious. I was 20 years old when that happened. You know, and at that point, I've been writing 10 years. Mm -hmm. So, I, and I was 26 when I published it. So, I mean, I had been writing for many years before I published anything. Right, right. And had had many experiences uh, in my writing. So, you know, and then when Jersey Lovers, my third book, came out, people were shocked. that you actually wrote this? Yes, I wrote this. But it's so, it's, it doesn't seem like it was written by a gay person. I'm like, once again, don't put your limitations on me. I'm an artist, you know, and I do, I take the same approach as an actor. When people see me, play a straight guy who's in love with a woman they're like wow are you sure you're not really attracted to women i'm like women are beautiful never said they weren't <laughs> i said but come on i'm an actor yeah but you were really convincing that means i did my job exactly thank you, <laughs> you that know, brings I'm me like, to another I, question i want to ask as we yes, stay on stay on the same vein i want to ask sure. what what is something that people seem to misunderstand about you because you're already starting to talk about that. And that was one of my questions I wanted to ask. So what are some of the things that people misunderstand about you? About me? Yeah, about you. 
Oh, goodness. <laughs> there must <laughs> be something that people seem oh, oh, to misunderstand oh, sure. about you. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I would attribute it even to the way that I grew up. You know, grew up in East Orange. Um, I was a Muslim, and most people were Christian. There were some Muslims. I think there's probably more now, mm-hmm. but I was a Muslim and in a, in a mostly Christian community. So that was one thing that set me apart. Um, and people often did not understand because being a vocal music major at both Washington and Cicely Tyson, more so at Cicely Tyson it happened, um, we sang a lot of gospel music. There were some songs I could sing. There were some songs I couldn't sing uh, because of my religious beliefs at the time. And like, a, for instance, there's a song called Total Praise written by Richard Smallwood. Mm-hmm. People who know Total Praise. And it doesn't specifically say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It just says, Lord, you are the source of my strength. Well, as a Muslim, I believe that. Yes, uh, yes. That Allah, who was my Lord when I was a Muslim, uh, was my, the source of my strength. So I could sing that and mean that. But, but, but the thing people didn't understand, even my choir director, how can you sing that if Richard Smallwood wrote this as a Christian? He's, he wrote about Jesus. This is him talking about Jesus. I say, yeah, but art is open to interpretation. This mm-hmm. is music. This is a song. Mm-hmm. Art is open to interpretation. And that's also something I learned as an author. You know, um, people will interpret my art how it affects them. And I can't tell them, oh, it's supposed to affect you this way because this is how I wrote it. Well, I may have written it from my perspective, and I see it a certain way, but you as the reader can take something completely different from it, you know? So the misunderstood part of me, I think, started as a child because there was one, that, that, that right there was one. And, um, and also, you know, I, I was always really serious about being an artist and, and, and wanting to perform and express myself creatively. Um, but I was also expected to, to make good grades. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, boy. You know, so there was that dichotomy of, well, if you want this, this is what you have to do. So I was like, okay. So I did it. You know, but things people misunderstand about me, um, you know, for instance, I could talk about how beautiful I think Mia Long is. Aren't you gay? Yeah. So then how do you think? I'm not blind. Yeah, I was going to say that. I was going to say, <laughs> I'm not you're blind. not blind. <laughs> She's a beautiful woman. What she do you is. mean? She is a beautiful yeah, but, woman. But, but would you sleep with her? I'm like, ah, probably not. I mean, I don't know. Get me drunk enough, maybe. But <laughs> no, I, I, that's a joke. But that uh, reasoning you know, is kind of flawed because I think Nia Long is a beautiful woman. Does that make me gay because I see her as a beautiful woman? So I think no, that, that kind but, of thinking is like really crazy. Yeah, and, 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 and it lets you know, and when I say ignorant, I don't necessarily mean willfully. People just don't know. Ignorant as in they just are ignorant to how that's possible. They don't. They don't quite understand it. And I sometimes will have to break that down to somebody. I'm like, listen, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't make me, doesn't mean that I don't think women are beautiful. I'm like, you know, I, I'm not blind, you know. And, and, um, Oh, goodness. Uh, so that's, that's the one thing. And, and like I said, publishing a book like Jersey Lover, 
before it came out and I mentioned to people that I was working on this book about this straight love story, I got that. Like, what do you, well, how can you tell a straight love story? You've never been straight. You don't know what it's like to be in love with a woman. I'm like, doesn't mean I can't write about it. I said, um, one, I'm a writer. I have an imagination. And two, I'm like, you think I didn't watch my straight parents? Think I don't watch my straight family members? I, like, I don't live in a world full of gay people. I live in a world full of straight people. And there's some gay people mixed in and some bisexuals and everybody else. I'm like, so we're all here under the sun trying to do what we do. So I observe, you know, and I create from those observations. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's I, I feel like I've always had to <laughs> explain myself or explain my rationale, explain my thinking. Now, in my 30s, I don't do that as much because I just don't feel like I have to, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I you know, and, and it also depends on the angle in which you're coming. Like right now you're interviewing me, you're asking questions, so mm-hmm. I don't mind explaining certain things. But you also, sometimes you also know when a person's asking you questions because they're trying to be shady or trying to be, you know, uh, like, well, I just don't understand how you could. And you explain to them and, they still, and, it's, and the cognitive dissonance kicks in. Well, I, I just still don't understand. Well, I guess you just are not going to understand it. You have a blessing. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, that's it. Now, you know? With, with that said, this is uh, our last question. If you could turn back the time mm-hmm. and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to yourself? Ooh, because you've gone, through, you've gone through so much. I'm listening to you, and you've been delightful, by the way. And there's Thank so you. much going on with you. What would you tell your 18-year-old self if you could turn back the oh, time? Oh, my goodness. What would I tell my 18-year-old self? First thing I would say, because I do think about this quite a bit. I'm 35 now, so that's almost 18 years ago. Um, 18-year-old self, I just graduated from high school, was on my way to William Patterson. I would say, young man, you're very, you're, you're smart, but you have to learn to trust yourself. And don't listen to what everybody else has to say. For, oh, oh, most importantly, I would say, because I think at that point I knew I was gay but I was really really ashamed of it because growing up everyone made fun of it you know I was a lot more feminine then so uh, you know everyone made fun of it and and it made me feel like it was just the worst thing I could be I would tell my 18 year old self first of all be proud of who you are you know and don't let anyone shame you you be proud of yourself you continue to believe in yourself because there were at that at that time there just felt like there were a lot of odds stacked against me and I ended up being able to knock those odds down I didn't know that I would but I would just tell my 18 year old self listen you 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 do what it is you want to do you follow your heart you follow your dream you follow your passion don't let anyone tell you what you should be doing you decide what you should be doing because now you have the right to do that you know and i i kind of wish at 18 i had who i became you know which is why when i talk to young people uh you know that around that age 16 17 18 even because right now the job i have i work with a bunch of kids kids (laughs) kids who are in their 20s Mm -hmm. you know and 
I, and when I tell them, oh, I graduated college in 2008, one of my coworkers said, wow, I didn't graduate high school until 2015. I was like, oh my God, get away from me. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, but what I try and tell them is, listen, you got your whole life in front of you. Do what makes you happy. You do what makes you happy. If it, if working here right now makes you happy, then you do it to the best of your ability. But if it's something else you want to do, you find a way to go get it. You find a way to go get it, and you keep believing that you can do it because your mind is what's going to take you there. That's what I tell my 18-year-old self. Your mind is what's going to take you there. Your mind, your mindset, the things you tell yourself. You tell yourself, I will be successful. I will uh, be this working artist and I will do these things then you can do whatever you set out to do that's the key because as a child I didn't understand that I would say I would hear people say oh y'all you all you have to do is believe I'm like well if you believe who's gonna know but now I realize mm-hmm. because even in publishing my first book I didn't know how I was gonna get scandalous out mm-hmm. I didn't know how I was gonna put it together I didn't know how people were gonna find out about it but once I remember posting on Facebook, I wrote a book, I'm going to publish it. It was like the world just opened up. Mm-hmm. One of my buddies told me, oh, I got someone who can design a cover for you. Someone else said, oh, I edit books. Now I should have never hired that woman because she didn't know what the hell she was doing. But <laughs> I learned. <laughs> I learned. And I learned the hard way. Yeah. So, so now, you that's, know, that's now, now the learn. editors I work with, right, now the editors I work with, oh, they're on it. They know what they're doing. And I will not, I, I, I don't want to say I won't take a first-time editor. If I if, if 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 you can show me some other stuff you've edited, and if you can give me like I don't know a a a a whoever trained you to vouch for you, but yeah, I normally don't take people unless I've seen their work. But I kind of work with the same editors at this point. But but yeah, like that's what I would tell my eighteen year old self: make sure you believe in yourself. Don't doubt. Well, there will be doubt. That's okay but you can overcome anything. And just remember that it's all about the words you tell yourself. Because when you're alone at night, uh, about to close your eyes or wake up in the morning, all you have is you. What are you telling yourself? What's your self-talk sounding like? Is it saying, I'll never do this, I'll never do that, I'll never be successful? Because if that's what you're telling yourself, you won't. But if you just, just a little bit, I believe in myself, I can do this, I will be successful. You'll be surprised at what happens. And that's what I would tell my 18-year-old self. And that's a wonderful thing to tell your 18-year-old self. In fact, I hope my listeners are listening to you so they can tell that to themselves so right. they can be successful. And, 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 and unfortunately, your biggest haters are going to be people you know, not the strangers. Yeah. It's going to be people you know. So... Don't be afraid if you need to separate yourself from them while you work on your dream. Or just, you know, you ain't got to share everything. And that's another thing I had to learn kind of the hard way. Because when you have big dreams and big goals, but you're around a bunch of regular people, it's going to sound like you're bragging. They're going to think, oh, well, who does he think he is? Who does she think she is? You know, you have to tell everybody everything that you continue to tell yourself, I will be successful, I believe in myself. Mm-hmm. Because all the successful people of the world will tell you that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Especially those who started from nothing, that didn't have, you know, people that could help, uh, in their family that could help them or would hold them down. They had to go out and grind and find it on their own, you know. And 
but they have to rem- remember, I can make it, I can do this, yeah. you know, because all kinds of obstacles will pop up to test how serious you are about it. You know, that's the other thing that they're not going to tell you, you know, because I think we look at success as, oh, it's this ladder you just climb up. Uh, it's not a ladder, it's more of a staircase, because Jennifer Lewis said it best, the elevator to success is broken. Take mm-hmm. the stairs. We all got to walk up these steps. Yes. But as you're walking up those steps, there's going to be broken steps. There's going to be stuff on the steps you're going to fall and stumble on. There's going to be people coming down the steps that are probably going to try to push you, you know. And, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to get up and keep going, or you're going to run back down the steps and start back down where it's safe. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, you know what? I'm never going to leave this space. It's safe down here. I don't have to climb those steps. My legs won't hurt. I won't get pushed. I won't get hurt but you'll live a very dull life that way and life will pass you by and you'll see everybody else who's climbed those steps enjoying themselves because it really does get better and it really does get easier and well I don't know about easier but it gets better it does get better oh god did I say it gets easier it doesn't always get easier but it does get better (laughs) well thank you for that advice I'm taking that advice myself I'm taking notes um, even as you speak. <laughs> look, look, on my on my tough days, I got to remember that myself. <laughs> Absolutely, and we all have them tough days. Absolutely. But it was a joy and my pleasure to speak with you today. I Absolutely. Want... This is full circle. I grew up with your children, so I it's know. like, wow. Like, I remember coming to your house when I was little. Like, hi, Miss Jones. I know. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure I was an annoying and I was an annoying ass little kid who talked too much, but I was just trying to figure stuff out, you know. Yeah, no, I never thought that. In fact, I'm so proud of all of you who came out of um, Cecily Tyson um, High School. That was a very good experience for you all, and also a very good experience for me. I learned a lot just by um, chaperoning there because you know I had to keep my eye on Kiana. So you know, I was always at that (laughs) school. You know that. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I was like y'all's mascot. I was at that school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I learned a, I learned a whole lot and I'm so proud of all of you. And I, I just you. wanna tell you just keep doing what you're doing and um keep being an inspiration. Thank keep, you very keep much. Keep following your dreams. Thank you. Thank yes. you. So we have been listening to Armani Williams and um this is real talk with real people, a candid conversation with me, your host, Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones. So I'm going to say I will talk to you next time as we have another candid conversation with another individual. Have a good day. All right.